Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now to discuss all things Afghanistan in the last 24 hours and how very quickly this is all unfolding. Juanita Tolliver is a political analyst for MSNBC. She's following this as closely as anybody. Juanita, thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you doing? Good morning. You know, I'm holding up, still like exhausted from the infuriating, tragic day yesterday, but I'm holding up. Why don't you just take us through your day yesterday as yeah. somebody who is following this uh, as closely as as anybody else? Um, take us through take us through the events of yesterday and what you think we ought to be looking out for today. Yeah, like so yesterday really hit home as the daughter of veterans, <laughs> the cousin, mm-hmm. niece of active duty military members and just glued to the television waiting for those updates. And I, I kind of knew it was getting worse and worse the longer and longer it took for us to hear from President Biden who didn't make his address until the five o'clock hour. And it, it just was waiting for the worst because I said on air last week, the last thing that Biden needs is any loss of American life through this evacuation operation. And sadly, tragically, that's what happened yesterday with the two bombings um, near the airports in Kabul. And so it it raised a couple of emotions in me just where I was just like, okay, when I hear the reports about the loss of life, that immediately sends me through the roof. But the second part that I'm having to grapple with is the reality that U.S. forces have to coordinate with the Taliban on the ground around these security areas. And this is reconciling the fact that this is the same group the U.S. has been fighting for 20 years, the same group that has now retaken the country and the same group that we are in a predicament where we have to collaborate and coordinate with them in very sensitive areas where you have these masses of desperate Afghan citizens uh, trying to leave the country as well as U.S. troops getting um, Americans out. And so it it was just like, how do I reconcile that emotionally, but also logically um, that this is what's required right now as they are being recognized more and more as rational actors, as they start to set up a government, um, but uh, a key odd bedfellow at this moment for U.S. troops who are trying to successfully evacuate the rest of um, Americans on the ground, as well as Afghans who worked with U.S. troops, women and girls, leaders of NGOs, LGBTQ people who are all experiencing a very real dire humanitarian crisis on the ground. And so watching this all yesterday, learning about the 13 U.S. troops who lost their lives and the 18 who were injured, learning of the scores of Afghans who were in the crowd, who were injured, it it just all came to a head. And I think we could collectively experience the same type of emotion that the president was uh, living in real time as he was delivering his speech. Like you could hear it in his, his, the timbre of his voice. You could see it in his posture that, that he knows the immediate impact of this loss. He knows the tragedy of this escalation. And it really came across yesterday in his speech. And that's something Um, One thing that we should be keeping an eye out for is when Biden says, we're going to find you, we will hunt you down. And he's making these very strong statements about what we can all interpret as a counter strike or airstrike against ISIS. Um, We all have to ask the question of what will that also yield, right? Like as at a moment when U.S. troops are leaving, 
Um, what will also materialize from any type of airstrikes, airstrikes that could happen in response to this bombing yesterday? Yeah, one of the things- Hearing that, him, sorry Z, go ahead. I was just gonna say one of the things that, uh, you know, I was sort of reading about yesterday um, was sort of the long history of these terror groups within Afghanistan and within the, and, and throughout the Middle East and how they like relate to each other. So mm. one of the things, you know, I sort of, I was like, wait, what is ISIS-K? You know, like, mm. what, what is that, like, a subgroup, uh, a you know, a, a, a spinoff, a variant, right, of, of <laughs> ISIS, um, and, and trying to figure out their relationship to the Taliban and, like, if they're friends or if they're frenemies, you know what I'm saying? Turns out they're enemies, and now yep. they're enemies to both us and the Taliban, and so that, and you know, when, when things become confusing in this way, you can only imagine how operationally and on the ground it's even harder. Um, and I don't know, after yesterday, do you feel like, I don't, I, the question is not, did Joe Biden make the right decision? Because I think that the majority of the American people have already said, like, they agree with the withdrawal decision and not necessarily the execution of the withdrawal itself. Um, but after yesterday, do you feel like any of that is going to change in the minds of Americans because there was actually loss of life of service members, which hasn't happened in over a year? Yeah, absolutely, Zerlina. Like, I, I feel like looking at the polling even, what was, I think it was 70% of Americans across partisan lines supported removing uh, U.S. troops from Afghanistan. And that ran consistently over a number of years. And, and so up until last week, frankly, uh, that number was holding. And after the images started to emerge of this botched evacuation effort of the desperate crowds at the airfields, the people who are clinging to these massive planes, trying any way to get out of Afghanistan, like that is what is changing public sentiment. And, and I think um, even before we had the tragic bombing yesterday, Biden's uh, approval numbers were already declining based on those images alone. And so now with these, these tragic deaths of American service members, I think you're going to see not only his approval numbers, but also reactions to this botched evacuation continue to increase across the American public, across partisan lines. Like even look at yesterday, how um, within the Democratic Party, there were a few people coming to Biden's defense full force, right? Like it was more so messages of accountability. Like look at the statement from Susan Wilde, who we know is in a tough right. district, who was like, look, this is a catastrophic moment. This is a series of failures and, and really calling for investigation and accountability um, of the Biden administration. Also from Senator Menendez, who, who was really calling couple, I think a quote, a full-fledged humanitarian crisis and the need for answers from this administration, right? So I, I absolutely think this is something that the White House is going to be getting it from all sides in terms of getting answers as to why the evacuation is as rushed, as botched, as dangerous and tragic as it has been. Um, I, I also think public sentiment is gonna carry into the midterms because you know the GOP is not gonna let go of any of this as an opportunity to attack the White House. And so we've already seen calls 
which are, let's be real, pretty asinine, calling for Biden to resign, his right. uh, military leadership to resign, calling for impeachment even from the same group of people who ignored and sometimes applauded Trump's, Trump's crimes and offenses, whether that's related to January 6th, Ukraine, Russia, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think this is absolutely going to be something that, while it is a partisan messaging moment right now for the GOP, depending upon the outcomes of the 2022 midterms, um, if the chambers exchange hands, will be absolutely something that the GOP will take action on um, in terms of impeachment proceedings or other things against the Biden administration. We got it, man. I cannot handle that. Okay, so my question is, yesterday he said two things that don't seem possible together. Biden said that we would get everybody out and he said that we would keep our deadline of Tuesday. I Oof. I, Oof. I mean, how do you hold both of those things? Do you see a way where that's a possibility? Absolutely not, Jess, right? Like, <laughs> I feel like, come on, like we started the day, what, what uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus was even calling on the administration to extend the deadline. But by the end of that um, series of questions Biden's received at the end of his speech, by the end of that, he had then reneged on that by saying, no, we're not staying after August 31st. And no, as a student of history, I've never heard of everyone getting out in a post-war scenario that wanted to leave. So he'd already undermined his previous statements um, through the series of questions he was responding to from reporters. And I, I think what's frustrating now is that we know we, we still don't know how many Americans are left on the ground. I think the latest estimate was about 1,500 Americans in Afghanistan, and, and that's not even able to be confirmed at this point. And so his now hardline decision comes to the reality of the risk that is being posed uh, to American troops who are on the ground with the risk of leaving Americans behind, as well as those tens of thousands of Afghans who supported U.S. troops or led NGOs or are on any type of target list from the Taliban. And that includes, let's be real, LGBTQ individuals, women and children across the country. And so I feel like there is absolutely no real world scenario where the two things that you mentioned, Jess, are even feasible. Um, I I think at this point, Biden is going to get additional pressure to uh, leave by the 31st to stop putting U.S. troops at risk, um, but also still find alternative ways to get other um, Americans and Afghans out of the country, even after U.S. troops leave. I mean, it feels to me like there's a couple of different things happening at the same time. It's like, you know, we've been in here for 20 years. Anybody mm-hmm. who's like, you know, oh, the evacuation is a mess. Like, I don't know what evacuations you watched in the past, but I've never seen one that's been, you know, people throwing flowers. Right. So that's right. possible, maybe in some hypothetical scenario, but usually at the end of two decades of war, like, it's a little messy. Right. I mean, it's like when you move out of an apartment, you lived in it for a really long time. I remember when my parents <laughs> moved out of their house um you know after you know we lived there since i was in like in the fourth grade or something and like and you know they moved out after like 20 years you have a lot of ish you know there's stuff that (laughs) needs to go to the dump you know what i'm saying the town dump and i just feel a lot like our expectations may have been skewed a bit in terms of what this was supposed to look like obviously we came on air you know the monday before um last uh 
with the images of people running after the airplane. Nobody wants to see that. But then yeah, one of the yeah. things I thought later in the week was, number one, oh, that's just like one part of Afghanistan, which is a very large country. If you ever have looked at a map with yep. millions of people yep. in it. And those are a couple thousand people out of a country of millions of people. So that's like one small little taste. I mean, that's like showing you like the airport in Peoria and being like, that's what is happening in America. Or dare I say, showing a video of the insurrection and somebody you being like, America it. is at war. Yeah. So, so I just think that our expectations may have been skewed. And my question is, do you think that going forward, we will have a different and clearer sense of what we need to do in Afghanistan for America's interest, because honestly, when we first went there 20 years ago, and Jess and I talk about this all the time, you know, no, 9-11 happened. We were like 19. We were we were young and dumb. And we were like, blow shit up. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we felt, mm. which is how everybody else felt, including military mm. leaders. I don't know if, like, it's good or bad to say, to say that 19-year-olds were feeling exactly the same as the guy who was the Joint Chiefs at the time. But um, <laughs> but I feel like when we, when we first went in with the idea that we're going here because of Al-Qaeda, because of 9-11, because of terrorism, and, and they were able to organize and train in Afghanistan, and so we have to go there so that, you know, the Taliban can't be there so that they can't train and in Afghanistan. That was our whole thinking, right? And the, we lost that mission. That mission mm. long ago was was lost. Do you think we can get back to that? Okay, I wanna I wanna start by saying the expectations were skewed because no one had been paying attention for the past decade plus, mm. right? Like I, I feel like let's remember this has not been a news item at the top of anyone's list uh, for at least the past eight to ten years. Right, like this has not been a priority nationally. It's not been a priority for voters. It's not been a priority for elections for a number of years. And yesterday when Biden was speaking and he talked about the fact that Afghanistan is a compilation of a number of tribes who have always been in some degree of conflict with each other. That, I, I was like, you're just now saying this? Like that should have been in the front of everyone's mind 20 plus years ago. That should have been the response when Barbara Lee was the only member of Congress oh, to vote against going to war without set confines, without a set plan for an end date, right? Like that mentality, that idea, that notion, that reality uh, should have been front and center. And so I say all of that to say, no, Zerlina, sadly, I don't think people's expectations will change because that reality is still not firmly within their mental educational awareness, right? Like until that becomes top of mind, everyone will still look at this as an isolated incident, ignoring not only the 20 years of war, but let's look at the 40 years before that in terms of policy. And so unless we can get all of that information, all of that history um, down to a general awareness for the, the American public, I don't think people's um, ideas or expectations will change about this evacuation. And instead, what I see happening is, all right, let's get dark. Instead, what I see happening is these, again, these calls for resignation or impeachment or Benghazi-like investigations becoming reality after the midterms, and that being what dominates the Biden administration for the remainder of this term. 
it, it's it's such an intract. It has been an intractable problem from the very beginning. I, there there is no good that can that can happen right now. But I know that everybody is feeling so frustrated and so heartbroken. You know, yeah. I'm I'm having conversations like. You know, my friends who don't who don't follow politics the way that I do are like, what can I do to help? I got a I got a text from a friend on Wednesday who has, who does a lot of international work. She's somebody who's really and I work with uh, on the Hillary campaign. She does a lot of international work. And so she texted me to be like, I got a plane of people that we're trying to get out. We got one out on Monday. We have another one ready to go. It's women athletes and LGBTQ people. Um, what we need is a couple of State Department email addresses. Do you have them? And I'm like, no, but let me get them. And I went searching through my contacts to see if I could find. And by the time I did, the explosion had happened. And so mm. she wrote back and she was like, never mind. I don't need those email addresses anymore. I don't even know what my ask is anymore. Mm. So my question is, is, is there anything that we, the people can be doing right now? Like, are, is there some place we can be donating? Is there something we can sign up for to be like, yep, put a refugee in my house? Like, what is there? Is there anything that people who are just sitting there heartbroken on the couch, can, is there anything we can do? Yeah, I feel like this is the time to get your advocacy hat out, right? Like, this is the time to be communicating with your governors, your state representatives to, to increase the number of refugees that states are willing to take in. And I, as a resident of Maryland, was pleased to hear the numbers that we're taking in in our state. And so really getting into contact with your governors, your uh, state reps, as well as your members of Congress to push for that as well, I think is a key thing that folks can be doing right now, because the more that they're feeling pressure from the general public to accept more Afghans into this country, the better. And so getting that call to action to raise refugee limits, getting that call to action um, to show support in their state for having more refugees welcome is critical right now. Yeah, so true. It does, it does help to be able to focus your attention somewhere. I, everybody I know wants to do something to help. Yes. Um, so there you go. You just got your marching orders. That's what we can do. Um, Juanita Tolliver, thank you so much for being here and breaking this down for us. And, and I hope that you're taking care of yourself while you report on this, because yeah. it's, it's not easy to live in this. One day at a time, y'all. Yep. <laughs> One day at a time. Thank you so much. We'll have you on again, obviously, very soon. And please stay as safe and sane as possible. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show.